0: looking at chapter 3 verse 18 through chapter 4 verse 6 a section that i have called the face of jesus 2 Corinthians 3:18 through chapter 4 verse 6 we will pray and then read the word of the lord father we come now To hear from you. Father, take these words and blaze them upon our soul. Father, fill us with an unquenchable fire to see the face of Jesus. Father, we may pursue, that we may long, that we may be overwhelmed by just the privilege of being saved but also the privilege of seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. May that become our passion. May that become our zeal. May it become that one thing that we will never waver in. To your glory and to your praise. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. In Christ and Christ alone. Amen. 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ? Who is the image of God? We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who says, "Light shall shine out of the darkness," is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We've been looking at this for a few weeks now. Actually, I think it's more like a few months. Uh, And and it's it's an amazing text. And there's times when you are studying and and when you are pouring yourself into Scripture. uh, I call it myself, hanging in the heavenlies. uh, Where things just do not distract me. And one of the things that I have learned is, and, and I over these years, is probably the one person that I spend the bulk of my time with, okay, is Paul. What can I say? He wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. It took me nine years to do 1 Corinthians. Who do you think I was hanging out with? Okay, And and I'm not saying that to shame people. I'm saying it is that we as brothers and sisters in Christ, when I read verse 18, it says, but we all with unveiled face. And and, and then then I read that we have this ministry. And then verse 6, where it says, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ is again in the context of we all. We really need to be aware that I, the, the false teaching that has been going on in, in our community and nationally and internationally. Uh, I watch people and they keep telling you that these are Christians, uh, uh, these are Bible based testimonies, and all the rest of it. And I can, with great confidence, this day say they're liars. It is no different than Jesus looking at the Pharisees saying, Have you not read? And I see people get led astray because they have not read. I see them get consumed into philosophies, into angles and schemes and methods. And the reason is they have not read. God gave it to you and I to carry around in our back pocket. Use it as a good luck charm. No, it is to read it. It is to read it. And it's an interesting concept. And yet, as I minister in this community for all of these years, I'm involved with different church leaders and organizations. It is so apparent to me that so few have read. And as I ponder these things, and like I said, I'm hanging out with Paul. It became clear as I looked at this outline, I've got eight points here on when you look at the face of Jesus, this is what you will look at. This is what you will see. And and I think at times what happens is we miss, who's Paul? He's a man, he's an apostle called of God, and he wrote down a bunch of stuff that everybody says is Biblical. I've had that conversation in the last week. Well, it's just a bunch of men. And they wrote stuff. And I said, well, that's not what the Bible says. What do you mean that's what the Bible says? Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Every word is God breathed. That's what the Bible says. But see, these guys, you know, well, I went to school. And I was in college and I was going to be a pastor, but I decided to go into business. And you hear all this stuff. And I'm like, but you never read the Bible. That's why you're not a pastor. Perhaps you're not even a believer. Okay? And when I think of this letter, okay, here's the two letters to the Corinthians. Do you realize that he wrote them more than anybody? He put more words to the Corinthian church than any text that he wrote, any letter that he wrote okay and when we get over toward the end of this letter you will see that this man had an overwhelming love for these people and i got to be honest with you i spent a long time i spent 11 years reading 1st corinthians and i've got about 3 years reading 4 years reading 2nd corinthians and these people are knuckleheads i would rather pastor the philistines it would be easier Because there's a part of me that just says there and goes, oh my goodness, how can you be this way? And yet Paul never stopped reaching to them, comforting them, counseling them, confronting them. He never ceased. And when I read this letter, there's that part of me that says, you know what? This is the word of God. God breathed a man led by the spirit. But I also look at it and I see the person of Paul in it. Paul. If you look at his life, okay, had a personal and an intimate relationship to Christ Jesus. That nothing could interfere with it. When he wrote these two letters to the Corinthians, if you looked at his ministry, you would think, oh my word. Who in the right mind would ever want to be a part of this? He'd already been stoned and left for dead. He'd already been shipwrecked. His countrymen, the Jews, wanted him dead and were plotting ways to kill him. The church was afraid of him. They were leery of him. This church in Corinth had spent three years, day and night, walking between houses and houses, working a job so that he was no burden on this church. They had betrayed him and rejected. And yet he says, I put mine in to the understanding of the new covenant. And remember, we came out of a contrast. Chapter 3, verse 6 through chapter 3, verse 18. He contrasts the old covenant and the new covenant. And he says, the greater glory is the new covenant. With my privilege of being into that new covenant, I don't care what's going on around me. The new covenant tells me that God can be intimately and personally known. By us. It isn't by your pastor. It isn't by the elders, the deacons. It isn't by your Sunday school teacher or the evangelist who happened to scroll through. It is by we all can know Jesus Christ personally, looking intently. Remember? Israel could not look intently at the blazing glory that was on the outside of Moses. But we now in the new covenant can look intently gazing into the face of Jesus Christ. And we do that by reading the Bible. Reading the Bible. As we gaze into the face of Jesus That is where you come to salvation. As you gaze into the face of Jesus, that is where you grow. It isn't a system. It isn't a method. It isn't a study. It is looking at the glory of God manifest in the person of Christ. I see Christ. I see God. When you think about glory, remember, glory is the manifestation of the nature and the attributes of God. You know, there's a lot written on this topic, the quote-unquote Christian life. Some people say you can do it in 40 days. Some people say if you do it with this prayer system. Some people say if you do it with this study side. And yet, the Christian life is all about gazing at the glory of God in the face of Jesus. (laughs) I know, it seems simple. Yeah, (laughs) truthfully, it is. It's absolutely simple. The Christ-centered life is the Christ-focused life at all times. You and I, you think about it. Most of us in here, we became closer to God in Christ in the midst of heartache, pain, travail. Why? Because you run out of the your own abilities. Come to the end of your own rope. And then all of a sudden it is, Jesus help me. Right? But if you look at the Apostle Paul, he never lost his focus in the good times or in the bad times. And that's the difference. It's like we are to pray without ceasing. Okay, pray without ceasing. But you would, every one of you would acknowledge that when the proverbial toilet is flushing, I become a prayer warrior. Right? But if you are walking with Christ, then you are constantly in prayer. Dr. MacArthur stated it this way one time, is that prayer for a Christian is like breathing. Sometimes I'm aware of it, sometimes I'm not. But I'm always doing it. Isn't that true? And you watch those people, and no matter what comes at them, they just keep kind of cruising. There are no mountaintops and valleys. It's just cruising right along. But you will find that those people are Christ-focused. They are only looking at the person of Jesus Christ. Now, how important is this? Let me share with you something. I had this discussion this week uh, with a person (laughs) when I was working on his motorcycle, and he found out I was a pastor. Okay, and of course, as soon as he finds out I'm a pastor, he's all of a sudden a Christian. Okay, it says poofta. It's just magical. I didn't. But yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay. And, and you're like, well, all right. And I'm I was like, have you listened to the words that come out your mouth? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that geez, these two ain't coming together. But, but you know, he says, well, um, you know, he, he goes to and he says, well, you know, it's easy to be a Christian. You just say the sinner's prayer. <laughs> and I kind of chuckled just about like I just did. And he says, well, you don't. Say the sinner's prayer. Say, sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. He goes, what? It's not in there. Well, then how are you saved? Ding. <laughs> thought you would never ask. John chapter 6, verse 40. Brothers and sisters, you should know this text because it flies in the face of the altar call. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up in the last day. Bummer. <laughs> no center prayer there. The word behold there is the same word in verse 18... We behold in a mirror. When you came to salvation, there had better been a moment when all of a sudden you looked at the person of Jesus and said, Oh God, (laughs) behold the glory of God veiled in humanity. Eternal life is to those who see Jesus for who He is. ain't got no prayer. It ain't got no aisle to walk up. It ain't got no liver quiver going on. Or, you know, the hair was standing up on my neck. It must have been like Jesus thing going on. Nope. Ain't none of that. Jesus is the one who is the fullness of God. He expresses visibly the grace and truth that is the glory of the Father. And if you haven't ever come to that realization, you're not his love you, but you're not his. You're not his. You must behold him for who he is. You've heard this statement. Well, you get saved and Jesus is your savior. And then you kind of go through a bunch of bumpety things and then you make him Lord. You have not beheld my Jesus. My Jesus is Lord. I don't make him Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That is not universalism. It means that every man will stand before God and say, "Uh Uh-oh, Lord. Guess I should have made him Lord. No. He is Lord. This new life, we call it, the new birth, born again, begins when we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. For me, it was extraordinarily uncomfortable. But I saw him for who he was, and I knew to argue with him was a losing proposition. That is my salvation. Then to grow in that life, I continue to gaze intently into the face of Christ. When I hear people, I had a pastor come to me one time. He said, you know, I watched your church. He said, everybody's got their Bibles and you hear the pages turning and all this other stuff. He says, can you come up to my church and make my church do that? And I said, it's easy. Get them saved. He said, what? I said, if they're not reading their Bible, then who's Jesus? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never. I'm seeing an emphasis here. The largest book in the Bible. Psalms. Okay. Largest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119. Do you know what the focus of this book of Psalms is? And Psalm 119 specifically is? The Word. I'm seeing a pattern. If you want to see the glory of God, you look to the face of Jesus. And I see Him in the Word. Growth in my, our new life is we continue to gaze at Him. Listen, please, I want you to understand something. I'm being very specific here. I'm not talking about Bible studies on a Christian life. Or a study guide on the Christian life, or forty days of this, or sixty days of that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you putting your nose in the book and reading it. It's amazing to me. You ask people, I said, "Can can can you teach a class? Well, what would you want me to teach on? Preferably the Bible. You got sixty-six books. You can't find something in there." To look at and to study and to show yourself a proof, rightly dividing truth. All the things that are in our lives that clutter it. You know, I stepped into this text uh, a few months ago and I told you that God had just been... I already told him I believe it. He doesn't have to keep proving it. Okay? And I have just been hit sideways and three times a Sunday... With stuff. All the things that clutter our lives. That keep us busy. That occupy us. In in this life. And yet. You have to stop. And take. And understand you're related to Jesus. And it's very personal. And when I get strayed from that. Then the clutter gets me. The writer of Hebrews calls it. Being entangled. Okay, It may not be sin, but it's something that is just distracting you. That's all it's doing. It's not that big a deal. It's just, you know, some God's eating the crickets. You just saying, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look into his face and the things of the world do what? Let me ask you a question. In your life, are the things of this world dim or bright? Shiny. Look, it's shiny. It's not a sin. It's just shiny. Isn't that the way we are? But it's not a sin. It's pretty. Right? Don't we do that? And guess what? What you're not focusing on. The Christian life is gazing at the glory of Christ and watching the world grow strangely dim. Looking to Jesus, because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Him, we can run with endurance. Really? Yeah! I read Isaiah. You will run and not grow weary. Unless you're looking at the pretty things. Then you're going to get weary. If I look at Jesus, guess what? You don't get fatigued. I was doing some electrical work down in Monument this week. And uh, I was all by myself. Okay, I just... That was it. And it's it's a mess. Sometimes people... What was you thinking? But anyway, I'm working. I'm up on a ladder, and I got a scissor lift, and, and it's cold, and it's rainy, and these fog things would come rolling through, and you couldn't see nothing, and one end is completely wide open, so the fog would come up out of the south and just fill up the room, and you're like, oh, this is perfect. I'm wetter in here than if I was standing outside. But, you know, so you're just doing these things, and, and it's easy to get discouraged. My hands hurt. Uh, my knees hurt, and it's easy. But as I stopped and would reflect back on the things that I'd read this morning when I read Scripture... It would all go away. It would was irrelevant. It was okay, no big deal. And I just kind of get a little smile on my face and da da, and then uh, stupid little birds, they want to be everywhere I'm at. Two of them. And you know, is there a nest around here? What's going on here? But anyway, we look to Jesus for He is the Author and the Finisher. He created it. The author creates it. We run with endurance. Do we have entanglements? Things that just, wow, what a hassle. You know, and I shared with you guys a couple of weeks with a message that it just seems like everything's complicated. Well, I'm still in that. Nothing is being easy. Okay, And you're just cruising along. But you know what? If I look at the situation, it's not pretty no more. But then it dawns on me the privilege of being a child of the Most High God. And then I thought, you know what? He's but yet providing. I'm helping some people out that needed help. And God has brought me this way and through these talents He has given me I have the privilege of helping these people and it freaks these people out. You're doing this work and all of a sudden they find out he's a pastor. What's he doing up on that ladder? I'm getting closer to Jesus. <laughs> I'm about 12 feet closer than you are. Okay? But do you see... I did, it's, you know, same thing when, when I work on the motorcycles. People say, well, how can you work on motorcycles? Well, somebody's got to do it because... <laughs> That's why God created Harleys, to create mechanics. <laughs> they just don't stay together. It's it's stuff like that that you... When you focus on the individual, the situation, or the time, is it frustrating? If you focus on the person of Christ in the situation or the time or the people, it's irrelevant. I mean, even the little birds that... What is your problem? Still God's creatures, and I'm about to send them to Jesus. <laughs> you want to go see your Creator? <laughs> we just sang this morning, open our eyes, we want to see Jesus. Our spiritual condition is measured by our gaze of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Did you hear what I just said? I listen to people try to tell me, you know, when a person tries to explain to me their spiritual maturity, they make me really nervous. Okay, so if you want to tell me how spiritual you are, you may want to hold off. Okay, because spiritual condition is measured by our gaze at the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You ever thought about how much time you waste? Or perhaps you don't waste any time. You got them things on your TV. I grew up when you had to get up and go over and turn the channel. You went back and you sat back down, and you had it. And now we got the ding, 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 I can sit there and bounce it off the mirror. And you guys never done that? I do that every once in a while. Bounce it off the mirror and say, hey, just Look, I go, bing. <laughs> um, but we can sit and flip through 300 channels of TV and say, Go through all 300 and say, There's nothing on. And so we'll go through it again. <laughs> just in case I miss something. Why don't you just take your Bible and look at the face of Jesus? because our condition is going to be based on how we gaze and do we gaze intently to glory of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Your salvation started there, according to the Bible. Looking to Jesus, I began growing because I gazed. He becomes the focus of our lives. And the more consistent that focus is, the stronger the draw to gaze more. And the more you gaze, then if you go back to verse 18, you will be transformed into the same image. From one level of glory, one level of manifesting the attributes of God, to the next level of manifesting the attributes of God, to the next level. And it's done by the person of the Holy Spirit as you look to scriptures. That veil has been lifted. We now have it. We all, Paul said, it's lifted. We all have been brought to the knowledge of truth. To the knowledge of truth. See, in the beginning, our sin confused us. We've seen the work of God in our salvation. We've seen it as the gift that was offered. If you're a Christian, at some point in time, you saw Jesus and you beheld the Son. And at that point in time, John tells us that you received eternal life. You looked into His face. And that is the will of the Father. You saw the revelation of the glory of God. You saw God for who he was, what was required of you, and what he provided you, and you believed, and you were saved. That's what salvation is. It isn't an aisle. It isn't. Um, yeah, I've heard people say, you know, you get people in the crowd and you get them to come up that are already saved. And, and, and then they come down and then the other people see that and they won't be afraid. And, and they'll get up and they'll come down. And then God looked at me and says, that's just like priming the pump, son. Priming the pump. Let me tell you something. If I got to prime the pump to make you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, you have a bigger problem than I can deal with. And I want you to think about it, because I was going to go into the look that purifies. But as I spent this time in this text now for months, it dawned on me that some of you have a misunderstanding. And I thought, how do I articulate a misunderstanding? It's easy. I want you to look at Paul. Paul, the apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, however you cut it, Paul was classified unique among the apostles. And that's what I want you to think about this day. I want you to think of this. Paul was not part of Jesus's earthly ministry. Got that? He, he didn't go down to see a Galilee and see him do the fishing thing. He didn't see him raise the dead. He didn't see him make the blind to see. He didn't do the you know walk on water or see Peter drowned and none of that other stuff. He didn't see any of that stuff. Okay. Paul was blind to the glory in Christ that is God. I want to show you something. In this letter, chapter 5, verse 16. He makes an interesting statement here. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Why not, Paul? Even though we had known Christ... What does it say according to the flesh well what do you mean there paul he had known of christ in the flesh okay he had known of him you couldn't have lived in israel and not known of this guy cruising around friend of john the baptist he had heard he knew the stories. He had the information. His teacher, his rabbi was Gamali. Gamali was one of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is the one who said execute him. So one of his students, actually his prize student, Paul, would have had the information. He had never seen him. But he knew a knowledge ascended in the knowledge of who he was. We had known of this fleshly being. Paul knew enough. And now grab a hold of this. I want you to think with me for a second. You got to think about this. For the apostle Paul. Or before Saul of Tarsus. Jesus. Was a focus of Paul's life even before salvation. He had heard, he had knowledge, he had assimilated information. He knew enough about Jesus so that it dominated. His life, but it was a negative sense. He knew enough that Paul hated Jesus, and he hated Jesus with a passion. He knew enough about Jesus that he devoted his life. To the persecution, the imprisonment, or the execution of any and all of Jesus' followers. This guy's not stupid about who Jesus is. Please hear me. We have it in our mind that, on the road to Damascus. This guy was very much aware of who Jesus was. Even as an unbeliever, Jesus was the focus of his life. Jesus after the flesh, his earthly ministry. He knew of these things. You don't feed 5,000 people and not the rumor get back to you. When you're hanging out in the religious center of the country, you're going to hear about that kind of stuff. You're going to hear when Bethany is just a stone throws from the temple and they Lazarus is raised from the dead. Hello. He would have heard. But he understood and looked at it as the earthly Jesus. Paul knew him well enough that he despised him and he hated him. If you take your best teachers and they go to a man and he speaks as someone with authority. And then he takes your teachers and embarrasses them by little statements like, have you not read? You guys are the experts. He knew about that. He understood all of that. He grew on him his knowledge of this man, Jesus, and it made him angry. So angry. He devoted. Now think about this. He devoted his life to Jesus. And hatred and bitterness. He rejected what he heard and had seen. Think about that. Some of you right now are dealing with people who have rejected what they've heard and what they've seen. But you know what? Now, I want you to think with me. guys stay with me here. He did come to see with his heart. His spiritual eyes looked into the face of Jesus. Listen, he couldn't do it physically. When he showed up on the Damascus road, what happened to him physically? Blinded. But if you look at his response... His response is, Lord, Lord. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> you know, I'm losing this one, I can tell. You know what's funny about that text? I don't think Paul made him Lord. I think his spiritual eyes were plucked wide open and he says, uh-oh. Because what he was trying to do physically, he couldn't see. That's what drives me nuts about manipulations and methods and systems. You're trying to do it physically. I want God to rip wide open your spiritual eyes that you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. I can't do that for you. In the physical blindness of the heart, he couldn't see. Then the spiritual light came on and Jesus, for the first time, he saw him as he really was. He looked into the face of Jesus, as John 6 says, remember? He looked into the face of Jesus, his spiritual eyes were open, and he was totally transformed. Bingo! Just like that. When I see people today take the name of my Lord and live just like the world, I can look at them and say, I don't think you're saved. And of course, Golly, you think I was, <laughs> but their spiritual eyes ain't open because if you see Jesus, you see the glory of God in him, you can't stand there and not be transformed. It's kind of funny about the Apostle Paul. Jesus was still the consuming passion of his life. <laughs> but it had gone from hatred to love. Reversed completely Paul's direction of life. Actually, if you're really honest with yourself, when Paul's eyes were opened to the face of Jesus, it completely reversed the direction of the world. He looked to Jesus. And if you're really honest with yourself, okay, I want you to think about this. There is no greater advocate for the Lord Jesus Christ than the Apostle Paul. There is none. I don't care. Throw him out there. Well, what about Charles Spurgeon? What about him? What about John Knox? Martin Luther? John Calvin? What about him? They didn't write 13 letters in the New Testament. And let's be realistic if you really want to be honest with yourself. He was not a bad church planner. Even to this day, Paul is leading people to Christ through his writing. And yet, physically, he never saw Jesus. Even with that, he saw the pure face of Jesus in the blinding glory of God. In in Acts chapter 26, verse 19, he describes it as a heavenly vision. Okay? That's the vision of Jesus that counts. You you look at people who paint his picture and, and all these other things, and I just look at it and think, it ain't getting it. It, it, it ain't, do- well, he's got a beard, you know, I don't, you know, where are you, what's up with the blue eyes? You know, I'm, I'm just really curious about that. I, I've been to Israel. I didn't see any blue eyed Jews there. Okay. Which made me stand out like a sore thumb, which is really great on the Sabbath because they don't want to touch a Gentile on the Sabbath. And that's just like parting the Red Sea. There's just certain things that entertain me more than others. <laughs> people have struggled for centuries on what did Jesus look like it's easy he's the manifestation of the radiance of the glory of god so draw that picture I had a guys i've got a motorcycle that i'm building and i'm calling it my isaiah bike and i want the gas tank to have God's hand like this. And then the water in the hollow of his hand and the span of his hand will be creation. Okay. So all these little artistic guys who run around left brainers or whatever they are, I tell them what I want and they look at me like I fell off. He says, you gotta be kidding me. And I said, well, no, that's what I want. I want the hands of the Lord kind of holding the two tanks. And then the tanks would be creation and the hollow of the hand would be the water and, and they just look at me and go, I can't do that. <laughs> Smart guy. So I can't either. Perhaps that's why my motorcycle is not done. A heavenly vision, the vision of Jesus that counts. You know what? Um, I am, uh, well, I'm almost 55 years old. And I will honest be honest with every one of you this day. I have never physically seen Jesus. Bummer, huh? Yet not having seen him, I can think of nothing more precious that I love more than Jesus. And I I can't do that on my own. I have no ability to do that. Have not seen him physically, and yet the wonders of, of who he is and the glory manifested in him, I know him spiritually. I know him intimately. I know him personally. People say, You tell me you read that book every day? Every day. Have now for 20 some odd years. I would like to tell you that there's some great spiritual blinding thing that happened in my life. I don't have it. But I know that every day the world has something that wants to entangle me, to distract me, to clutter me. And if I don't start by looking into the face of Jesus, then I will probably be distracted or entangled or something. That's where salvation came. Listen, I want you to think about it. Jesus's earthly ministry. How many thousands, how many hundreds of thousands of people saw Jesus physically and never understood? They never understood. Physical eyes never saw the glory of God at all. And yet the glory was there all the time. It wasn't like it was hidden. You know, and I get people who say, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. <laughs> Have you not read? <laughs> Too many crickets. That's why they wanted him dead. <laughs> the Bible says that he was in the world. The world was made by him and the world Knew him not. Hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. I heard statements on this man's predictions this week. That he's a Christian. And it's Bible based. No, it ain't ain't got nothing to do with the face of Jesus. It's got nothing to do with the glory of God. I don't care what you're predicting. If it isn't manifesting the glory of God. His own received him not. They had no understanding. The Apostle Paul was his own. And he knew enough about Jesus that he was just really hateful hated Jesus and he wanted all of his followers either to repent back to Yahweh or die so many in the body of Christ today have no understanding of who Jesus is he's a little baby in a manger no picture can cover it Listen, if you're really honest with Jesus' earthly ministry, okay, earthly ministry, I'm even talking about the resurrection, okay? But only three saw His glory manifested. Please understand that. Three went up on the Mount of the Transfiguration. He pulled back His humanity, and Peter said, It is good for us to stay here. (laughs) You know? That's about what I would come up with. Well, there you go. <laughs> but I mean, even when he was in his resurrected body, walking around, walking through walls and weird things like that, it did not have that glory, that Shekinah of God. I mean, you know that they're going, man, can you? Jeez. I mean, I'd hate to be in up the room scared to death. And i said, sudden, poof, right there he stands. Uh-oh. <laughs> but it was only the three of them saw the manifestation of his glory. John finally saw it again in the writing of the letter of the Revelation or the apocalypsis. Paul looked into his face on the Damascus road, but he opened up his soul, and he saw the reality. And everyone who has ever come to Christ, who has ever been born again, the new covenant Christ of heaven is the one that they see. And they have an unquenchable thirst to long, to look intently into his face. There should be an aching for the heavenlies. I see him spiritually. I see the manifestation of the glory of God. I want to see him physically. I want to be with him. And yet I watch people who are hanging on to the shiny things. The pretty things. I don't mind if Jesus comes back, but I'd like to get to Barbados before I get there. Really? Paul saw him. And you know what? Paul never, ever, ever stopped gazing at the face of Jesus. Okay? I know that. I read his last letter. Last letter he ever wrote. He was in the mammotine prison, preparing to have his head removed. Okay? And we all have a tendency to listen to the last words of somebody. Right? Or what was the last things that they were saying? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, But also to all who have loved his appearing. That's pretty amazing stuff right there, brothers and sisters. Crown of righteousness is coming for me from the Lord, the righteous judge. Not only to me. But all who have loved his appearing. If you're not in your Bibles, brothers and sisters, you don't know what he looks like. You don't know what he's about. And you do not have a love that is eager for his appearing. I mean, you may get, hey, dude, that guy's talking about the end of the world. Judgment's on Saturday. It's Friday night. I might want to pay a little attention here. But you know what? For me, it's just a long string of people who talk out their hats. You thought I was going to say it, didn't you? And the truth of the matter is, I have a longing for his second coming now. And every single one of you is but one heartbeat away from seeing him. Will you recognize him? Or have you created Jesus in your own image? There's a reason we have no physical description of what he looks like. Because He wants you to see the glory of His Father in Him, not me. And that's what you and I are here for. Charles Spurgeon, years ago, I read an article by him. uh, And it kind of freaked me out at first, but over the years it sort of makes more sense to me. He says the greatest single event that will ever happen in a Christian life is the moment of salvation. He says, because as long as you live, you will pursue the holiness of God so that when you step into glory, there's not really that big a transformation. Because you know what you're looking for. And I thought, dude. But the more I think about it, isn't it true? As long as we've lived, we read the scriptures, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when I see him, I'll know him. Paul says to all who have loved his appearing will be a crown of righteousness. See, the spiritual Jesus, that hunger and thirst of the new covenant leads to a longing to see the physical. Paul told the Philippians, this one thing I do. Think about that. This one thing I do. Press toward the goal of following Christ. To the point, he says, the things that you've seen, the things that you've received, the things you have learned, do those things? What? Can a mere man? Yes, I am an imitator of Christ, so be imitators of me. See, the Old Testament saints, they never saw this. The new covenant, the veil is removed. We see Christ, the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. You know what? I, I watch people, they, they, when people start talking about the judgment day and the end of the earth and the rapture of the church, they all want to look at Revelations, right? Let's go to Revelations. Get it all figured out. Okay? But you know one of the things that you miss in the book of Revelations. You who have the veil removed, now see the person of Christ physically standing back on the planet earth again. Apocalypse. Okay? What that means is if you're not expecting it, it's going to be a bummer. But for those who are expecting it, it's Perusia. And Perusia says, he said he's coming back. Look. And He will come back in His glory and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And they're going to see the manifestation of the glory in physical attributes. It's going to be like the Mount of the Sand transfiguration on steroids. Because if you look at it and in its context, He shuts out all the heavenly lights. Which makes it like really dark. And then there's a light. And it's Christ. Christ. Okay, and it is a blinding light. We see Christ, the glory of God revealed. The reason that I wanted you to look at my brother Paul is because what I just gave you is the plead of this text. Look to the face of Christ. See the glory of God manifested. And the more you look at it, It will transform you into that image. And let me tell you something. There is no system. There is no method. There is no philosophy that's going to get you there quicker. When I think about my brother Paul and the awful circumstances that he was existing in at the writing of these two letters, I see a man whose peace and comfort and tranquility and hope came from the fact that he never took his eyes off of Jesus. And the church had rejected him. The church had hurt him. And he loved these people with an unwavering love. He had been in trouble in the country, in troubles in the cities. He had been beaten with rods. He had been shipwrecked. He had been stoned and left for dead. And yet he never wavered. I mean, when he was stoned in Galatia area, and they took him out on a pile of dung heap and threw it out there, he regained consciousness. What would you have done? Tell me what you would have done. I'd have went with the sons of thunder, fire and brimstone, Lord, fire and brimstone, one shot, bingo. That's what James and his brother thought they should do. You know what Paul did? He got up off the dung heap and went back in and preached. Why? Well, it was the focus that he was looking at. This text is calling you and I to the same vision. If you have never come with the heavenly vision of seeing the face of Christ, the glory of God, then you're not saved. If you have come and you have seen the glory of God in the face of Christ, then you should have an unquenchable thirst to be in the book so that you can gaze intently at the person of Jesus Christ and be transformed into the same image. From one level of manifestation of the attributes of God to the next level of manifestation of the glory of God. Let me ask you a question. I'll ask you some simple questions. How are you doing with pride? How can you have pride if you look at the face of God? He only spoke existence into being. What do you do? Let me—I'll give you a good one. One that just is a blast. How are you doing with patience? How can you not be patient and look at the face of Christ? How are you doing with hope, peace, comfort, tranquility? Don't you love it when he pulls out the hammer and just goes across your toes? Ding, 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 ding. And the only way you come to that place is looking intently, gazing at the face of Christ who is the manifestation of the glory of God. Every attribute the, of the nature of God is in the person of Christ. And if you don't believe it, then read Paul. Any of his writings. Because you will see a man whose focus is looking at Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul and the amazing things that uh, you have shown me. Lord, I pray that as I collected my thoughts to look at my brother that these precious souls will be encouraged by this man. Father, it is you and you alone. I mean in the simplicity of seek your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, uh, we see that in the person of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this text. Thank you for the amazing things you've already done. And Father, we rest in the assurances that you will complete in each of us that, that you've called us to. Thank you, Father, for the time you've given me to your book. Father, may, may we all walk in a manner worthy. In Christ's name, amen.